0: episode 1 of cold beer hot tapes. Uh today we're going to be talking about James Blake's Assume Form which came out when uh January 18th, right? Oh. Yep, January 18th. Uh one of three I mean I can't call James Blake like a a, a titan in terms of his like stature in the <laughs> <A> community. <titan. laughs> but it, same day as Future and Tori Moi.
1: He is um, a really tall guy, though, so I don't want to say he's a titan, but he's definitely like he's a big person. Yeah, you know? yeah, no,
0: definitely. Um, uh, what, was, what was your first exposure to James Blake?
1: <laughs> so this is uh, this is kind of funny. I'm going to tie this in with a tweet that I saw this week. I saw like one of those like uh, astrology twitters that someone someone retweeted and it came in my feed, and it was like, "Oh, your, uh, your your favorite James Blake song based on your your sign and." Um, it came, I got read down the list, got to my sign Aquarius, and it said, "Uh, you know, your favorite James Blake song, Limit to Your Love, and I was like, I feel attacked, because how accurate that was, because uh, that was, like, the first James Blake that I saw, song that I heard, along with, like, the Wilhelm scream back in, like, high school. Mm-hmm. I forget what year of high school, but not long after that came out, because I remember, like, it kind of came, like, like Limit to Your Love came out, uh, not, hey, that's, hey, I'm pretty sure it's a Feist cover right yes and b um that came out like right as dubstep was like shooting its way up into the midge in the mainstream <clears throat> so it had like these very subtle like wub, wub like you know the, the bass wubs or whatever See, and it, it came up at that time which was really interesting but that was my first exposure
0: i remember he was really into the like okay first of all you know, you can make dubstep music that's not like in your face and broey. It could be subdued, but also there wasn't any sub bass and like Skrillex or anything like that. So I think it had to have been like around 2011. But uh,
1: I would say that that sounds right. It was like definitely late high school for me. I would I would argue.
0: But yeah, I'd say seeing where things have gone from there, from seeing him move from the kind of dubstep or post dubstep or whatever you want to call it into him really transitioning to being like a legitimate singer-songwriter um i think we 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 were we were in the study lounge just a freshman year of of college like the day retrograde came out as a single and i think it was one of those like neither of us talked for like 5 minutes afterwards like man that's powerful and it kind of has just gotten more more severe since then
1: yeah, I, I would argue that. Um And, you know, I guess, like, when you first heard in Limit to Your Love, like, his cover of it, yeah, it had that, like, bass, uh, like, you know, that kind of, I mean, the sub-bass, but it still kind of, like, played in a dubstep on some level, maybe closer to, like, more the original, like, or, you know, older, uh, you know, UK Garage Pirate Radio kind of dubstep, not, like, the like, Skrillex. Like, Digital, Digital Mystics. Yeah, kinda, that kind of yeah. thing, exactly. And, like, um... When you kick out. It, it's not a good comparison, but like, you know what I mean? Like, more, like, when it was at a lower level of, uh, prominence, I guess, um, before it, like, really went mainstream. But, um, you can still see, like, with Lim- to, like, his cover of Limit to Your Love had that, uh, I-, I guess his, like, the use of silence and build that would become very common in his later music, particularly, like, Retrograde. Yes. The, and, you know, he never really tethered himself to the dubstep uh or uh, influences that much, but I think that's kind of you can very clearly draw that line through all the way to retrograde, and I think like that's overgrown, correct? That's that album. Yes. And I think to me that was kind of the height of him doing that sort of bringing that kind of element to his music, which is interesting, even though we're rather going into this conversation about um Assume Form, but Assume Form like actively gets away from that, which yes, was such which a big I, part of his yes. music up until now.
0: I definitely agree that I I think this is a big step forward. Um, I I can't say it was out of left field. Did, did you feel like it, that it was left field given like the the sonic direction of this versus his older work? I it's I
1: guess kind of yes and kind of no. I, I bet that is a, a terrible answer, but like no, um, I you know what I mean? Like I there's exactly elements that like he stepped like he definitely kept building on. And you can kind of see, like, in each one of his projects, like, the ideas that he sticks with, but he never sticks with them for too long, and which is, which is interesting. But I feel like, yeah, it was kind of a bit out of left field because a lot of those, like, a lot of his older songs, especially Off of Overground, really felt like they existed in a vacuum, and they had, like, a lot of dramatic builds and climaxes that often put a lot of emphasis on the emptiness and the silence in those songs to kind of, like, build into their effect. And he used that, He wielded that shit so well in his music, like, better, like, I can't really think of anyone off the top of my head that really, at least in pop music, that really built on that a lot, and he did such a, like, it became such a a huge part of it, like, one of the most prominent characteristics of his music, and, um... I you know, that's something that I always like draw that connection to instantly, but that's kind of why I felt that a left field because so much of like what he's done recently that we've connected with, or at least that I've connected with was built on that, and he just kinda totally stepped away from it. Well still retaining a lot of other elements, but that one is just so like in your face and obvious that a lot of the subtle things have stayed, but some of those bigger pieces are just like not there and that being one of them, and I think that's why it felt like it was out of left field. But realistically it kind of feels like he's been building towards this anyway, you know? In some it's a mix of both, I guess, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, no, I I see what you mean, but I feel almost feel the opposite in terms of This wasn't too out of left field, because between his first and second albums, he had dropped a bunch of EPs where he was just kind of circling the underground. He did that Fall Creek Boys Choir song with Bon Iver. Yes, yes. And that was when he was starting to first transition from, like... Post dubstep, I kind of hate that label, but whatever. Uh, I don't even think he was like fully dubstep though, ever to really. But to be, you, know, you know, the, I, the I su- heavy sub bass and and sparse and subdued things to more of like the traditional singer songwriter thing. And between that out al- or overgrown and his last album, the color and anything, this is when he was getting all these call- starting to get all these call ups, do a lot of things and. Ironically enough, I think that's where a lot of the sounds started to get really bright and like twinkly. Like, uh, Waves No Shores and Modern Souls from the last album, especially have like, that's a good point. Yeah, mm -hmm. Yeah. Really big, expansive sounds that I wasn't at first used to hearing from James Blake. But then you look at the track record since then, too. Since 2016, he has appeared on two Travis Scott albums. He's, done production for james all right sorry he's done production for vince staples he's done production for beyonce he's on, jay-z he's on king's dead as well right Which yep is a pretty prominent single from last year yep so he has kind of gotten out of that uh i don't want to say that he was shying away from collaborations prior to recently but i'd say he's definitely opened up to doing a lot more things like even the color thing had Writing contributions from Frank Ocean, writing contributions from Rick Rubin, and then here on Assume Form, um, what's his name? Uh, Dominic Maker from Mount Kimby. He co-produced a lot of this, this album. Hmm. Um, and I think just this album alone, there's more collaborators than all of his other ones combined, where at most there'd be one feature, and not, nothing here comes, comes close to the, like, the, Riza's feature on "Overgrown," where it's like, "Hmm, that's a what, weird one." Yeah, <laughs> where it's literally like is sitting there, like, "Hmm, what's what's a uh, what's British Guinness fish and chips? Uh, you're worth more than me than a million quid." Like, <laughs> yeah, he phoned that one in real hard, <laughs> and it shows. Uh,
1: I I don't disagree with that. You know what? I I'm, I'm looking back at his like uh, his his album, uh, you know, discography, his discography right now, and I'll be honest uh even to this day overgrown still stands out a little bit more to me than the color and everything I definitely and, agree Yeah and cuz the color and everything like honestly it doesn't feel like a yeah not a, not a high water mark um but i guess I, I see what you're saying now and i haven't really thought about it cuz admittedly i didn't really go back and listen to his discography after this cuz like honestly i think what the color and everything came out in 2016 correct Yeah, um, it was long as
0: hell and it came out in may and that was not the time for that
1: <laughs> yeah and i and i don't really remember much about it other than like i need a forest fire but nothing really sticks with me but now that you're saying that and i i, I this is my own fault for not doing my own due diligence here on on the album, uh, are listening here, but, uh, yeah, now thinking of things like, uh, Ways No Shores and, and other songs like that. Yeah, this doesn't feel as out of pocket. And I think you, yeah, definitely a much more thought off point than what I was saying before. But, I <laughs> do, just say. Yeah. But nah. <laughs> I think it also, that's also my impression of his, uh, what is, what impression his music's made upon me at this point.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I still say the, the songs that I went back to from that were more like the, the timeless and I Need a Forest Fire and, I hope, hope my life, um, one mix, which I think is probably one of the straight up, well, it's also one of the saddest ones I can think of recently, but it's also like one of the most straight up dancey tracks he's done since Boyer on Overgrown, hmm. where like seven layers going on and he just samples himself as kind of like the recurring sample. It kind of sounds like, um, Eurythmic's Sweet Dreams. A little bit, but, yeah. But, uh, I I think that he took a lot of those kinds of ideas that seemed more out of pocket and followed them a lot more on this, which was good and bad because it caused a lot of weird transitions and pacing on this one that I don't think we've seen on his past projects because they kind of had a more unified sonic sound, and also I guess I don't know
1: my my impression from from Assume Form overall is the pacing of it is just feels much quicker. It's a 48 minute album. It's not like a particularly short album, but I think also cause he's stepping away from that, like sense of moodiness and, and, and space that he brings in these songs. Cause these songs feel just so much tighter and less, uh, you know, drawn, out drawn out. Then they're just much tighterly. tighterly like they're much they're much tighter songs overall in terms of like the melodies are a little bit more compact like this feels like he's he's i don't know if this maybe comes from his like work with dominic maker in that production because i've listened to a lot of mount Kimmy this past year they're like love what survives album i really liked but you know um maybe that's a part of that uh you know collaboration together that they're starting to just bring his songs. Like, I don't want to say raining it in cause like I, when I say raining it in, it feels like there was an issue with that to begin with, but no, that's something I found very like idiosyncratic about his music that I liked. Uh, but, um, it feels like, I think that's one of the things that why this feels like a, such a turn for him is cause this is just,
0: there's just like a brevity to this. I, honestly, I think Metro Blumen might be the thank for some of that too, because, um, mile high, about three minutes, Tell Them About Three Minutes. Yeah. And, you know, Metro Boomin knows how to make a pop song in, 20, in 2019. As even, even in some of his stuff that he wasn't doing for, like, Future and Gucci Mane. Like, you know, he has production credits on Tinashe's songs. He, he, he knows how to make a pop song as well. So, I think... There's a reason why he's everywhere nowadays. Yeah, and, and, and I, I can't even say this was any more out of left field than seeing James Blake pop up on King's Dead. So, I'd say... Mile High is actually one of my favorite songs from the album, but I think that it being right next to Assume Form kind of hurts both of them. Yeah, a little bit, cause it does feel like a, like, as much as I
1: like both of those songs, I love, uh, Tell Them and, and Mile High, but they definitely stand out more because the drums are a little bit punchier. I, I think, I guess that's the Metro Boomin influence yeah. there. But also, like, a soup form's a little bit more drawn out. It's a much more mellow song. And I think that's a, I guess one of the, the things about those, and I guess there's a good segue into talking about those two songs where, um, you know, it feels as if, Mile high and tell them they're much moodier songs or at least have like a much i guess darker less obviously bright tone to them, but they're still very straightforward like love songs, and that was kind of the one thing I had to unpack for this album as a whole was because you have some like songs in you're like uh you know into the red or or uh can't believe the way we flow or assume form that are uh or even like power on or all come too like those are all very like those are almost like uh just you could they're they're you know, they're they're almost a little corny and they're but they <laughs> yeah. you know, but they're yes. they're such like warm, like pleasant love songs and like you're very much cued in to what it is from the begin from the beginning of the song, like the tone of it and the mood that it sets are like very clear, like, Okay, yeah, this is a love song. This is like some very lovey dovey. Warm, affectionate stuff. But these songs, are like and like "Mile High" and "Tell Them," are also that. When you get down to the lyrics, they're not far off. But they just cultivate like a just a darker mood to them that is like almost more uh, closer to something on Overgrown. But lyrically, they're like yeah, they're oh, they're not far off from anything else. Which kind of like creates like a weird, uh, you know, dissonance there from the rest of the album, but. But like thematically, they're not like lyrically fr- from a th- theme perspective.
0: They're totally in line with everything, but sound wise, not really at all. It, yes, no, exactly. So I think this album more than anything he's put out prior, have, since a lot of the uh, more lovey dovey songs are, are just really just pretty pieces of music and you can feel the mood from the production. Yeah. Really emphasize that James Blake is not a great lyricist. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I there's
1: there is certain things he said about this I'm like, oh man, like I don't know if this guy is utterly smitten to the point where like his just like dorkiness is just like, inherently just, just, just oh, yeah. gushing at it, him at it, this point,
0: but it's so there now. It's, it's
1: kind of endearing, though, on some level. It's like, yeah, yeah, I get it, man. You know, this this dude, this dude is uh, head over heels.
0: For yeah, sure. like, I mean, good for him. You know, he's, he's out of London. He's been living in LA for like three years. He's in a very happy and public relationship. They're both beautiful people. And it shows all over the album. It's just like, sometimes it's just very ham fisted. Like, um, I think specifically, endearingly on, so. Though I'm gonna, <laughs> yes, yes, endearingly so. But specifically on, um, which one was it? All come to is so fucking corny. Like, I'm sorry, but then like about halfway through, uh, violins come in in the production, and then it's like, okay, <laughs> it's like, so I'm, good. <laughs> I, like, I'm, I'm gonna let you cook because this is, sounds beautiful, but it's it's just. It's corny sometimes, but hey, you got to acknowledge that, you know, I think James Blake, more than almost anybody else that's gotten popular among a certain set over the last couple of years, has kind of been, like, I don't want to even, yeah, branded, and I mean, like, cattle branded with the Sad Boy label, to the point yeah. that people won't let him yeah. look past it, to the point that he made a an open letter notes the app thing last year, being like, okay, yeah. like... Yeah you know, given how much of the stigma there is about male depression and all these things, it's a little tone deaf to keep on, like, you know, labeling me as a sad boy. And then what does Pitchfork do, like, immediately after? to James Blake's still sad, and he, like, quote treats his, like, this is exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I think it's good that he, he he can kind find room to create without having to tap into a will of pain, and I think, as a whole, maybe as a society, we might fetishize sadness in our music too much. That might be something not, that, not wrong, not we, wrong on some level, you know? And, might be something for later, but. And, uh, and it
1: did put them in a box for a while, because I feel like the X, and I think that's partially maybe why other people, I, I actually know, I think it's definitely why a lot of people did, were a little like taken aback by this album, and you can see it on like social media, and I even talked to a few people about it, even myself, like, whoa, this is a turn I was not expecting from, from James Blake, because on, on some level we all kind of applied that that sad boy lo- like a label to him, and that's kind of what the expectation was with his music. And yeah. that's, that's I think going back to your earlier question, why this just felt like such a turn for him, you know? Because it's not really, you know, the music like seems a little sadder and moodier uh com- compared to this and this is just outright like uh, almost uh saccharine to a point it's it's incredible
0: yeah but like you know like british saccharine <laughs> it's like yeah it's a what- refreshing, <laughs> refreshing sweetness he's like what do i do with myself now <laughs> <laughs> but um what i actually did think was funny though is that the songs that he had collaborations were the songs that tended to be skewed more to what you'd expect from him. Minus the Rosalia collaboration, which was excellent. And I highly recommend her album that I don't want to butcher because I don't know how to say it in Spanish, but, um, from November of last year, really good. There's even just like a really random, but really good interpolation of crime. Your river, but in Spanish, um,
1: Oh wow, that sounds. Yeah,
0: cool. I've heard good things
1: that she she seems like she's making a name with herself. Also, at the same time as a uh, who's the other artist from Barcelona,
0: just to to plug that, um, the one that was doing like a kind of dance hall like bad girl, yeah, 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 yeah that Barcelona. was also really yeah. good. Um, but yeah, minus the Rosalia collab, um, Moses Sumney and and Travis Scott and Metro Boomin and Andre 3000 kind of tapped into that like classic James Blake sound, especially tell them to. You got like huge vibes of life around here on "Tell Them," right? Absolutely, like that that simple. It was almost exactly like it, and not in like a. You know, I know we've kind of turned on Chance in the last couple of years, but uh, how how do you think that that Chance remix of "Life Around Here" holds up now? Uh, not great. Uh, Okay, I, I didn't like it much
1: to begin with, so like I thought it was a weird collab, and like I'd say to me, that's like. You know, Chase Lake's had some interesting collaborations, like, you know, going into the hip-hop world. And he's had some really good ones. Like, his vocals on King's Dead are awesome, but uh, that is not a high-water mark for me. And, 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 yeah, I'm not a fan. Okay, yeah, Yeah.
0: because I was thinking, yeah, no, I I really like where this is going with Moses Sumney also. And what I also think that these collabs brought out is, you know, I don't really feel like he harmonizes or does duets with people. He's always gets his own... Solo vocal tracks when he peers on other things, but here, especially, he does a lot of harmonizing with his guests. Yeah. And, and, uh, I mean, not to cut you off, but just, I think that his voice sounds better when it's juxtaposed against something that's not a sample of himself. And I agree with that. And also, I don't think it's completely out of pocket because you have, a I I need a forest fire, uh, mm. from,
1: from, from, uh, the last album was, he he harmonized with Justin Vernon a lot on that song, and that's yeah. what it made it stand out so much because they're two people with very unique voices that kind of complement each other in an odd way. And I felt like it kind of came back to it here, like his duet. I, I honestly say he might like it's not completely a duet, but like he harmonizes with Rosalie a lot on uh, Barefoot for the Park, and it's really interesting. And also with Moses Sumney on uh, yeah, Tell Him, yeah, Tell Him. And like I, I was super impressed, and those are two of my favorite songs on the album because the way they kind of, uh, you know. Intertwine their, their, their vocals on those songs is super interesting. And also, I love that he's working with Moses 70 so much because they're two of the most, A, like, I think they're two of the most interesting singer-songwriters out there right now, but also, and their music clearly like, I know Moses Sumney's come around a little bit after James Blake, but there's a lot of, there's some similarities there in terms of how they've like spaced their music and used oh, like, yeah. instrumentation.
0: I think a big part of that, he opened for him on tour, I think the last tour that James Blake was on, but, yeah. uh, Moses Sumney's on, uh, Jaguar, Wire, whatever Boney Bears label is. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's familiar with that circle. So, you know, I think he has taken some cues from it, and I think they both have that kind of, Mastery of minimalism in terms of like sonic structures, a hundred
1: percent. And I saw I saw um, Moses Sunday last year at Montreux Jazz Festival, and he's a incredible live. Just quick plug for that because you're gonna get a chance to see him in person. He's he's awesome. But also, I think just on a lesser note. um yeah, I still think it has a huge impact on how they perform together is they both have incredibly unique voices and they both have like, I don't they I think, you know, James Blake can get a little bit deeper, but like they have two very unique voices at like face value and seeing them like play together like that is like very interesting. Cause they, they, they have very like James Blake has a, uh, uh, definitely a little bit, left the center just out, out of out of a normal wheelhouse of what you expect from someone's vocals, especially when he hits those high notes. Yes. And um Moses Sumney not far off, so seeing two people with like a great singers but also like very distinct voices play together like that on a song and how that intertwines their vocals is pretty pretty
0: awesome and that's why I think it stands out so much to me. Yeah, that and, uh I mean, Rosalía was like, I, I guess, kind of out of left field as a collaborator, but I also was not expecting him to also join in and sing in Spanish with her. Yeah, at yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, wow. Let me look at James trying, and that was that he took much more of a backseat on that song,
1: which I was fine with. Yeah, because I, 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 he, you know, he kind of, I, I feel like he backed off a little bit and was like, all right, she could flow a little bit. More interestingly over the song than he probably was capable of, but the moments he chose to come in and harmonize with her were like, all right, yeah, like even sing along smash, like definitely, uh, accented what she was singing, but he was definitely playing a uh, second fiddle there, which was, um, honestly better. I enjoyed her vocals way more than his in yeah. that song, I got to honestly, be honest.
0: And then, yeah, yeah, like, using fiddles as a transition. I think what, one of the things that I will give a lot of credit to this album for is that, James has a tendency to lean into just, like, regular piano a lot, and, like, I I can't even say that there was an overabundance of violins on the album, but the presence of all the violins coming in kind of gave, like, the album as a whole a kind of cinematic feel that I don't think he's ever really had before. I would say that stands out to the most to me on Into the
1: Red, um, because... Hey, the, the keyboard melody for Into the Red was stuck in my head for days. It's almost like a lullaby. The one
0: that kind of sounds like a Kodo. Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I'm saying keyboard because I don't actually know the instrument, but it just, it's, it's so sweet. It's such a, like a nice melody. It feels like if there's moments in the song where it kind of just let, he lets it sit by itself. Before, you know, like, later in the song, he really builds it up around, like, his own vocals and then brings in the strings at the end and really, like, again, gets that cinematic, like, build-up to it. But the moments where he lets it, like, sit by itself for a second, it's so good. Like, just that part of the song, like, it's a great song. I think... Like the core melody is such a, like a lullaby and it's, it's such like a good sweet song, but like, you know, it builds up such in a fantastic way towards the end, but man, that core melody is just like, shows how good a singer-songwriter he is just cause that, it, it sticks with, it stuck with me so much. And it, it, yeah, I say to, to build on Into the Red, I think Into the Red's probably my favorite, like, straightforward love song on this album. I think it's, it's fantastic. It shows so many things that we like about his music, or I think that, like, our, the best characteristics about his music, like the cinematic builds, the drama, the use of uh, space and silence in the song, which doesn't really do as much here, but the way that he lets like the melody kind of sit on its own, alone, and let it speak for itself, kind of does it in a very similar way. He'd use silence on earlier work, I, I, and the way he builds his vocals and harmonizes with himself towards the end of the song along the strings, like yeah, this is a to me the the one song on the album that really uh, tied it. Tied a lot of what I like about him together and really stuck out the
0: most. And I'd, going further with that, I'd say this song in particular had some of the best lyrics on the album. Yeah. Because especially that he started the song off with the list of things I can live without gets shorter every day, which is complete pump fake from how like warm and expansive the production on the song gets. Oh yeah. But I, I had to run that back like three times, like, wait, wait did he just say that? but um, yeah. it was that's probably one of the better pieces of lyrics on the album compared
1: to uh, you know uh, I'll Come To like that song a lot the lyrics are
0: uh, oh my god it's so sappy <laughs> oh yeah no, it's one of those like you know when you, you might be seeing someone you've been on a couple dates with them and they're like oh do you want to meet me here and you don't even think about it you're on your way there and somehow you're in like the Bronx or right? somewhere <laughs> you're like yeah, Ridgewood yeah. or something. And you're like, Oh man, I'm smitten. Like, yeah, that, that whole song reeks of that. We're, we're laughing about it now. Like, which is
1: kind of funny, but like, yeah, we all, we've all been there yeah. and it's completely relatable, but it's still kind of funny. It's like almost like when your friends are like, com- like you have like a friend who's like completely just, you know, clearly floating. And you're like, ah, you yeah, got, you know, yeah, uh, J- James Blake or Fetty. Wow.
0: Who is this? Guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, it's relatable. I uh I'd say though, just like as a whole, um I agree. uh Mile High, uh Barefoot in the Park and Can't Believe We Flow uh the Way We Flow are the standout tracks to me. I mean, I also really liked Andrew Three appearance. Maybe it's like, oh man, you know, I hate heady ass shit and then jumps into this heady ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh That's um, for the self awareness, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you know, I think it's a good it's a well put together album. The production's really good. The, the joy, the guests are really well curated. I just think that the track list could be shuffled to make everything hit better.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with those two. Like, um, tell him mile high back to back. I feel like they could be spaced out because once you get out of that first, like, that too strong stretch, it's just a lot of, like, of these sappier love songs. For a pretty heavy stretch of the album, until you get to "Where's the Catch," and "Where's the Catch" is interesting. It has a good Andre three verse on it's good. Not that I was expecting it to be bad because it's, it's it's him Andre and 11, he, yeah. he picks his battles nowadays. And he often sh- when he shows up, he you know brings it. Um But I liked how that song kind of like brought because this would be one of my only criticisms about the album is like. You have, you know, can't believe the way we flow, and then are you in love, and then you get to where's the catch, and then you have I'll come to you, power on, don't miss it. Um, and where's the catch kind of, like, like, that's a pretty heavy stretch of like the sappier love song of the album, but then where's the catch comes in. And th- this is a criticism and also a praise because I think it works well. Um, Like it's a criticism because it just kind of doesn't. It break. It feels like a little just unbroken up in terms of what those songs like cultivate mood wise yeah. and what they bring. And it kind of just gets a little samey for a second there. But then, where's the cash comes in? It's kind of like. An interesting song because it kind of represents the self doubt that comes in relationships. Like, hey, this is so good. Where's the catch? And that's pretty much what the song's about. But it's, it's, it's kind of funny though, because like it never really dives that deep into the self doubt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause he's still like, nah, I'm still, I'm still here. I'm still super in love. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the one moment of like, oh, maybe this will take a step into something darker. It really never fully does. And, but it still offers a nice break of like a stretch of like otherwise just, um, pretty, pretty bright, floaty, low songs. Uh, but yeah, that would be like my one big criticism of like how the album is paced.
0: Yeah. I, I then at the end of the day, given that it's not like a 19 track streaming thing, that's a, re, a relatively small criticism in, in 2019 where, you know, a 19 track album is the norm. No offense, future, cause this is actually one of your shorter albums. But, uh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it because, you know, I, found a lot of musicians we've been following for a couple of years now have kind of fallen into a rut. Mm. And I think that basically everything that came out that day was m- for most part a distillation of everything that they did well without having to just kind of, you know, lean into just being consistent. Cause you know, future's album was much better than I expected. Tour et moi, which I think we'll, we'll be talking about next. Um, Tori Moi kind of encapsulated a lot of what he does best in the shortest album I think he's put out yet, and and James Blake kind of is actively shaking off his Sad Boy label. And honestly, when I was writing a lot of this, and when I was just kind of trying to summarize what what I was feeling from the album, um, this Mitski quote popped up on like, my timeline, is that the point of my music isn't to make you cry, I'm not trying to make torture porn I want to express I don't know the whole gamut of uh, human experiences, and I'm like you know this this basically sums up how James Blake what he's trying to articulate on this as well. Yeah, I would agree. And hey, I I think that's good. You know, it's just not sustainable for anyone to kind of constantly find inspiration from kind of keeping yourself in kind of a, a shitty situation or a shitty mood all the time. And I think that. Even if it might be out of left field for what we expect from James Blake, it's good to see that he's clearly just doing well.
1: Yeah, as a person, like, uh, you know, maybe you pick up, like, a lot of the songs, like, they definitely uh, dived into a little bit darker subjects on, on earlier work in terms of, like, uh, depression, you know, uh, a little more introspective. Um, and not that this album isn't introspective, it's just introspective about a different set of emotions and a different mindset. And it's honestly awesome to see him explore it. And I think it was ultimately a really successful venture for him. And I really like the direction this album took from like, you know, a mood, like in terms of what it was talking about mood wise and emotionally, but also for his songwriting and production, um, you know, just changing things up and showing that he could do a lot with anything. So I, I'm, I'm I'm super impressed by this album in the long run and I, it took me a while to get into it like at first I was a little taken aback but more I getting into it it's uh yeah I, I i this is this is a definitely a worthy addition to his his catalog
0: work yeah body work um I, mean. I guess then that being said what do you see next from from him based on the direction he took here
1: i you know what I don't want to say because you know uh judging by the color and anything which is something I might really care as much about um color is color and everything or anything
0: uh color and everything everything
1: anything okay um that album didn't stick with me um and you know and this album kind of came out of uh it was unexpected from what i i knew of james blake and what i kind of thought of his music and uh before this but now um, I don't really want to guess what comes next because he kind of surprised us on this one. So I'm hoping he does it again and continues to evolve. But I really like what he decided to flex on this album uh, from like
0: a production and songwriting perspective. So do you see him being able to shop any of these kinds of ideas to to anyone that he's since he's been working with so many people these days? I would say absolutely
1: yes, for sure. I hope he does too because he's a great songwriter and he's clearly this is like. If he's using this as like a way of saying like, hey guys, I could do other stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it's, works, it's, you know? We're the yeah. audition. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, what about you? What do you, what do you think his uh, next move might be?
0: Yeah, no, that, that really is what I could see next is, I mean, you know, he's, I don't really know if you can go, where you go from having written and done a song with Beyonce in terms of like pop recognition, but I don't know. You know, from things up with her and Hover going good and <laughs> you can form some of these ideas. Yeah. But uh yeah. yeah, I I think he's gonna keep choosing interesting collaborators because he even though he's already like good friends with Moses, he's like, Yeah, no, I just booked the studio a time with Moses and with Rosalia and just kinda sl- sl- saw what would happen. And like Metro Boom into the studio and he's he's doing it with them. He's like, Yeah, no, we just like figured we'd just go in the studio just and just do the duet ourselves with everyone in the room. And it's like this is this is really different. James Blake, then James Blake from 2011, who you know honestly hit his face, not not like in a Travis Scott way, but like he wasn't as front and center as he is now. No, no. Whereas right now he's basically like model posing on the album cover. Yeah. <laughs> and like, hey, that's that's growth. So good for him. You know, he's 30. coming out of his show a little bit. Yeah, yeah he's thirty. I mean, he he's thirty. Is- I think yeah, he's recently turned thirty. I don't know that. He's 6'5", and he's aware that he's handsome now. So, like, good for him. <laughs> good for him, but, like, don't go too far with it, pal. You yeah. know?
1: <laughs> like, hey, buddy, uh, you know, be humble about it. <laughs> somebody, Not all of us can, can get somebody that. Somebody
0: on Twitter is like, I'm, I'll be honest, he's 6'5", and white, what does he have to be sad about? And I, I honestly could laugh. <laughs> but, um... I mean, <laughs> true. <laughs> but, hey, uh I, I think it's worth a listen, you know, at 40-something minutes... It doesn't overstay its welcome in my mind. I mean, yes, it, it's a little treacly sometimes, but I think that even though the pacing is weird, you know, the Andre 3000 track will kind of jar you out of the love song of it, and so does, um, uh, Tell Them in Mile High. Um, yeah, uh, anything else?
1: Um, no, I mean, overall, I would, uh, this, this, this is a hot tape, uh, you know definitely worth a listen um i think this will maybe a little jar on people who aren't listening to james blake but i can see this like winning him some new fans like some other people coming and listening to this like oh that guy i didn't really know who listened to before but this stuff's like really nice and i can see that having that effect and i hope it does And i work about listening to his music because i want to see more from him in the near future
0: yes because you know it i feel like he's one of those guys that was just like critically popular but he kept having to tour and he said that was a kind of a big issue in terms of how you can end up depressed is how often you have to tour to stay sustain like financial viability. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So this is episode one, cold beer, hot tapes. Episode one of many more. I'm Karen. I'm Tim.
1: Tune in next time. We're most likely talking about tour. We was, um, outer piece, outer piece with, um, A special guest from California. Anyway, thanks for listening. Peace.